Whew. I love that song. Thank you, DeAndre. So good morning. My name is Lindsay. Merry Christmas. And uh, I have the joy and privilege of being married to Jan, who's one of the pastors here. We have six children, and um, our family is really thankful to be a part of this body of believers, and we are very much looking forward to celebrating Christmas with you. And I have to tell you, I know Brandon shared that trunk and treat is his favorite thing we do. Well, my favorite is Christmas adventure. So I would really encourage you not to miss that, especially with your whole family. It's a really, really neat opportunity. So we're in a season of getting ready for Christmas already. Are you ready? We are getting our houses ready and our trees ready and decorations are going up and we're getting our lists ready and our, and our cooking and our baking and our calendar and hopefully our budget and all these things ready. But this is also a time when the church is traditionally called Advent and it's a time when we recognize we also need to get our hearts ready for Christmas. We need to make sure there's nothing between us and God or us and anyone else so that we can be free to really understand and experience everything that God intends for us to this Christmas. So one of the ways we're gonna do that as a church body is we're gonna take these weeks of December and we're gonna look at some of our traditional Christmas carols. And, and what do these songs and the scriptures they're based on tell us about Christmas and how we can experience that ourselves? So this week, we're going to talk about the Christmas carol, Silent Night. And this is a very traditional Christmas carol. It goes back, it was written in 1816 by an Austrian priest who was new to his post. And the story goes that as he was going to the, to the Christmas Eve service that night, he looked out over this you know, beautiful snow-capped Austrian scenery and, uh, and these are the words that sprung to his heart. And there's also a story in 1914 of how during World War I, there were soldiers from different sides in the trenches and the foxholes on Christmas Eve who heard other soldiers singing Silent Night in their own languages and sang it back to them. And this predated the, the Christmas truce that happened in 1914 where soldiers from opposite sides actually left the foxholes and in some accounts potentially played soccer together and exchanged gifts and remembered what's important about Christmas. But I have to tell you, just to be honest with you, despite its tradition, despite its history, Silent Night has not always been my favorite Christmas carol. And I think that's because as a child, the words kind of weirded me out, right? Round yon virgin and, and radiant beams from thy holy face just sounded like this, you know, plump woman with a baby shooting lasers from his eyes. And I was like, why do we call the baby tender and mild? That's food. Mild's a salsa, right? I, I just I don't understand this. So, of course, now since I've become an adult, I have learned some things about this carol that have helped me appreciate it in a different way. One is that in English, the lyrics actually don't match the meter of the music. So it should say, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, and love's pure light, radiant, beams from thy holy face which makes so much more sense. I still don't know why we call the baby tender and mild, but you know, I can get over that. The other thing, if I'm honest, that um, kind of warmed my heart to this Christmas carol was the Christmas of 2002. And that was when Jan, my husband and I were engaged. And for those of you who don't know, our background is in theater. So we met and, and we actually got married when we were doing theater together. So that Christmas we were cast in this touring Christmas production 
and he was Joseph, and I was Mary. Aww. And so we would go to all these different places to perform the play, and sometimes when we would go, we'd be waiting backstage, and they'd sing Christmas carols before the show. And whenever the Christmas carol was Silent Night, the cast quietly backstage would sing, Round Yon's Virgin. Have I totally ruined the Christmas carol for you now? <laughs> You're never gonna hear it the same way again, right? But whether you love it or whether it's not your favorite, um, it doesn't really matter. It presents a very beautiful, very, um, very normal, very expected Christmas card-esque moment, right? This beautiful, silent, calm, peaceful moment with Mary and her newborn baby, Jesus. So here's my problem with that. I have six children. And I've given birth six times in a variety of places and circumstances. I have all kinds of stories. But never would I classify that experience as calm <laughs> and silent and peaceful. It is amazing. It is life-altering. It is holy but it is hard, and it is messy, and it is smelly, and it is usually loud. And if I put myself in Mary's position, she's not in a hospital or even a home that's ready for her to have this baby. I just, I can't imagine her nesting instinct. Must have been going crazy. But she's, she's in this town that is packed full of people. She's not even in her own town. And in that time, when a woman gave birth, uh, all her mother and her sister and her aunties and her cousins and her grandma, everyone would be there. It was a community event for the women. And she's totally separated from that. She's got Joseph, and I'm sure he was great, <laughs> but probably way out of his league. And they're in this town. Okay, when I grew up, I was I was uh, raised in Texas, and one Christmas, we were driving up to Colorado, and we stopped for the night in this little town in New Mexico. Do you know what happens when they have a skeet shooting competition in a little town in New Mexico? Apparently, it is the event of the Christmas calendar, because there was literally no room anywhere in any hotel in this entire town. And I remember as a child just being like, what do we do? We can't get back in the car and drive, I'm so tired. And it just, it just was, I felt so lost. We ended up on the floor of a banquet hall at a, at a Ramada Inn, so, so it was an adventure for me. But again, for Mary, this town is crowded. And how do we get from, oh my gosh, there's people everywhere, there's no, she's in labor, to silent night. Is this just contemporary airbrushing to make us feel better? Is this just wishful thinking? Or is it possible this carol is capturing something that's deeper than what we would observe on the surface? And the reason I'm asking all these questions is not just because I tend to overthink things, but because I think that there are some of us, maybe many of us, who are looking at this perfect Christmas card picture that we want and we maybe even feel we desperately need after this year that we've had. And then we're looking at our circumstances, at our finances or our calendar or to-do list or the COVID restrictions or the variants or the whatever. And we're just going, this isn't Christmas. How can I have Christmas with things like this? How do we celebrate Christmas? in a world that's broken. 
That's what we're gonna talk about today. So let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for the gift of laughter. I thank you, God, that we can ask questions. I thank you, God, that your word is alive and active and we can interact with it and talk to you about it. God, would you open our eyes, open our ears today, not just to interesting thoughts, but God, to see and experience you in a new way. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna take a look in Luke chapter one. So we're, we, you know, Silent Night starts with Mary and the baby. So we're gonna take a look at where this story started for Mary. In Luke chapter one, starting in verse 26. And this book, as I said, this is written by Luke. It's the third book in the New Testament. And Luke was not one of the original disciples. He lived at the same time as Jesus, but he was not one of the original disciples. And he tells us in the very beginning of his book that his intention was to provide a very carefully researched, orderly account of the story of Jesus. And somehow, in the midst, of perhaps before or during his research of Jesus, he becomes a believer. And later, he writes the book of Acts. He travels with Paul on his missionary journeys. But Luke is the only gospel writer who gives us the Christmas story from Mary's perspective. So I like to think that part of his investigation was actually sitting down with Mary and hearing the story from her own mouth. So maybe, I don't have any you know, scholarly research to, to back this up, but maybe this is Mary's story, the way she told it to Luke. So starting in verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now, if you read a little earlier in this chapter, and you can do that at home later, we read about Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, who has also, her, hus her husband Zechariah has had an angel appear to him, the same angel, Gabriel, to tell them that they're going to have a child as well. It's not Jesus, but he's still very important. So Luke is just giving us the context here. Six months later, God sends the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, when it says she's pledged to be married to Joseph, this is a little stronger than the, our idea of engagement. Um, from my research, um, they were saying that this is basically, legally, they're married, right? They haven't had the ceremony. They are not sleeping together, as we know from virgin. They say that a couple times. But by all intents and purposes, in Matthew, it talks about how when, if Joseph wanted out of this relationship, he had to divorce her. So my point in that is to say that Mary wasn't just sitting around one day going, well, I wonder what's gonna happen today. I'm bored, right? She had a plan. Her life had a purpose. She was moving forward with this marriage. She had already thought about where, what their life together was going to be like and where they would live, and they had made plans. Gabriel coming to Mary was an interruption in those plans. And he says to her, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Again, this is not anything anywhere in the realm of possibility of what she expected might happen this year. This is a huge Interruption, and it becomes very clear very quickly that her life is going to have to adjust. So the angel says to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now, I think sometimes when we talk about Mary, we tend to set her kind of above ourselves, like I could never be like her. But this word, this verse, uh, 
has, you found favor with God. The word favor is the word charis. It's the word grace. And the characteristic of grace that makes it grace is that it's undeserved. So Gabriel's not saying, Mary, you are so awesome that God has chosen you. Gabriel is saying, Mary, God is so awesome that he has chosen you. And that's true of us, guys. You are in the same boat as Mary. God loves you, not because you're so fantastic, not that you aren't, but honestly, because he is so fantastic that he has chosen to love us. So that's what Gabriel is telling her. Don't worry, Mary. This is not a performance thing. God loves you and he's gracious. And he goes on, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. I had this little thought of, oh, well, guess she doesn't need a gender reveal party, does she? (laughs) He'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, all these things that Gabriel is saying about Jesus, Mary would recognize them. Every single one of them relates to a promise in the Old Testament of the Messiah. Because you see, ever since Genesis, since the very first book of the Bible, since Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, God had been promising a savior was coming, one who would make everything right, a king who would establish justice and his kingdom would never end. And Mary understands that Gabriel is saying, your son is not only the son of God, he is that Messiah. He is that promised one that is coming. And can I just tell you, I've had people say to me, you know, I love to read the New Testament because it's about Jesus. But the Old Testament, hmm. Now, I will admit, there are difficult passages in the Old Testament. But friends, there are difficult passages in the New Testament. We just finished a series on Revelation. Were you here for that? Right. Okay. But I really want you to know, the story of Jesus is the story of the whole Bible. The Old Testament shows us that we need him. And it promises us over and over again, he's coming, he's coming, here's what to look for. The New Testament tells us the story of how he came and died and rose from the grave and how we can be saved and promises that he's coming back. And the book of Revelation has been written. We're not going to write any more books of the Bible, but guys, our lives are an extension of that story. We are living the story of the Bible, the story of Jesus, until he comes back again and says, we're done. Again, reference series on Revelation if you missed it. So don't miss Jesus in the Old Testament because Mary did not. So why, why is God sending Gabriel to Mary? This is more than just a, hey, heads up, you're gonna have a baby, don't lose him, because he's important, (laughs) right? This is not just an infomercial from God. Whenever God reveals himself, in big ways like angels or small ways like a verse of scripture that jumps off the page, guys, that's always God initiating an invitation to us. It is an invitation for us to know him for us to know him deeper, for us to believe him more and experience him in a new way. It's an invitation we say around here to realize our role in his story. And when we say realize, we don't just mean like, oh, I get it, but for us to become what he created us to be. 
Gabriel appearing to Mary is an invitation. And she has recognized God's invitation always requires us to adjust our lives. So she responds to the invitation with one question. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? Now, I think Luke intentionally sets up this story with the story before it of the angel appearing to Zechariah because Zechariah also asks only one question, but his question is, how do I know what you're saying is true? And Gabriel does not respond well to that question. You can read that story yourself. Mary's question is very different. She's not saying, are you sure? She's saying, okay, how? And I think as a woman, this is a personal question, right? She's in the process of being married. She understands how babies are made and she understands her part and she's just kind of like missing pieces here. Need some information. Well, Gabriel answers her question by saying, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And I like the old 1984 NIV version that said, for nothing will be impossible with God. Gabriel's answer to how is God will be with you. Whenever God invites us, he always promises us his presence. And when Gabriel says, the power of the most high will overshadow you, I love this idea. So the word overshadow literally means to cast shade upon. Now, those of us in Arizona where winter has just now ended, we understand the power and significance of shade, don't we? Yes? It's, it's this beautiful picture of rest, of, of respite from the heat and the, and the toil. It's this moment of, of calm peace because something is standing in the way of the sun taking the heat for you. It's this picture of God standing over us and sheltering us so that we can rest in his presence. Now, Gabriel's specifically talking about the conception of Jesus when he uses this word, but this picture of finding peace in the shelter of God is all over the Bible. So this applies to us as well. In Psalm 91.1, it says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you will find refuge. It's this beautiful picture of trust, of resting in the presence of God. But as I was thinking about it, the word overshadow also in our culture has a very negative context, doesn't it? When we feel overshadowed, we're saying, somebody's stealing attention from me. And I thought, you know, that's entirely appropriate as well. Because in order for us to respond to God's invitation, we have to remember that we're not the main character, that it's not about us, that our purpose is to direct all the attention to him. He absolutely should overshadow us. And Mary understood that. So she's been invited. She's recognized that things are going to have to change. God has promised his presence and her response is surrender. She says, 
I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I'm sure her head was swimming with questions. I'm sure she had about five billion other ones she could have asked. But the crucial information had been established. I am the Lord's servant. Kind of reminds me of a political drama that played in the late 90s, early 2000s called The West Wing. Did you guys ever see that? It was on Netflix for a while. It was a story of a fictional president, his administration, and there's this phrase that they would use every so often, I serve at the pleasure of the president. And it, and it usually came up when there was conflict about what the right thing to do was, and it meant for the staff, it meant my job is not to do what I think is best. My job is not even to do what I think is right. My job is to make sure whatever the president decides happens. Whatever the communication, whatever the policy, that's my job. And I think that's a little bit like what Mary was saying. My job is to do whatever you've decided is best. And she's not saying, oh, okay, I'll be a a servant for God, right? No, look at the other half of, of what she says here. May your word to me be fulfilled. She's saying not just okay. She's saying yes. It literally means may it be birthed in me. May what you're saying come to pass. May it be finished, which has echoes of Jesus on the cross. She was in and she was happy because she knew she could trust God with this process, with being overshadowed by him. She heard the invitation. She was willing to adjust and she surrendered. When Mary said, I'm the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said, she was surrendering her plans. Remember her life, possibly her marriage, certainly the way that relationship was heading. She was surrendering her body. She was surrendering her reputation. Because in that time, you did not have a baby. And who's gonna believe, oh yeah, sure, God gave you this baby, right. She was surrendering all of that, her right to control what the circumstances would look like. And I think that this choice in this moment of Mary to choose to trust God, to surrender to his invitation like this, set her up to experience the holy silent night, no matter what the crazy circumstances were. Because what was silent and holy and beautiful about that moment was not the circumstances. It was the reality that God himself had come down into the circumstances to be with us and to save us. I mean, think about what Mary got to experience. We sang, or, or DeAndre sang, Mary, did you know when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God? And that is not just a poetic, pretty line. That is the insane reality of Christmas. And I hope that blows your mind that God, the God who created the stars and the universe and the planets chose to shrink himself and confine himself to be like us, to experience grief and sickness and pain and sorrow and weakness and discouragement and rejection because he wants us to know he knows what it's like and because he chose to love us. And guys, the same thing is true for us. What is special about Christmas 
What we celebrate at Christmas is not the circumstances. No matter what Hallmark movies may tell you, it's not the warm love of our family. It's not the perfect roaring fireplace with the stockings at a 45 degree angle and the air conditioning blowing because we're still in Arizona. It's not the huge bountiful feast stuffing ourselves on everything we don't eat the rest of the year so we can. It's not the perfect gift that the person loves. Those things are wonderful and we can experience them without guilt and we can praise God for them. But without them, hear me guys, without them, we still have Christmas because Christmas is Jesus being here and he's enough. I'm, uh, I get the privilege of homeschooling two of our elementary kids, uh, Ezra and Salem, and we're going through this book called Window on the World, and it talks about life in some different countries around the world, what life is like there and, and what God is doing there and how we can pray for them. And I feel like this Christmas, I'm aware in a way I've never been of how global the body of Christ is, that we have brothers and sisters this Christmas in a cave in Afghanistan who'll be celebrating Christmas there. We have brothers and sisters in Christ on the streets of Lebanon or in Madagascar struggling to feed their families who are living this reality of Christmas without the stuff. Can we have Christmas? Can we experience that silent holy night? Yes, we can because God has come to be with us and he's enough. So we get to sing Silent Night together if I haven't ruined the song for you. But as we do, the band's gonna come out. I want us to think about a few things. How can we respond to God like Mary did? First of all, you need to know you're invited. If you have never heard before the voice of God inviting you, I want you to hear that today. That's my prayer is that you hear it today. John 3.16 says, for God so loved, put your name here, for God so loved Lindsay that he gave his only son so that Lindsay would not perish but would have eternal life. And Jesus said, what is eternal life? It's knowing you and the son that you've sent. God is inviting you to be a part of his story. And if you've never heard that invitation for yourself, I'm gonna ask you to pray this. God, give me ears to hear. Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. God, give us ears to hear your invitation today. So you're invited, but that invitation is going to require you to adjust. What do you need to surrender to the Lord? Maybe it's your plans Maybe it's the future that you have set your life upon. Maybe it's control. Maybe it's your expectations. Maybe it's a relationship or a habit or a bitterness that you've allowed in your life for too long. I don't know, that's between you and God, but something has to die for us to go with God. And the last thing I would tell you is you can trust God. This God who wants to shadow you in his presence to give you his peace and his joy in the midst of it all. Jesus is here and he is enough. So whatever your circumstances may be, may you be overwhelmed with the joy and the peace and the worship of being in the presence of God this Christmas.